Am I making any sense? Okay. Let me stuff my mouth a little bit more. Oh man, I'm feeling so stuffed right now. You know, the thing with grilled cheese sandwiches is uh, I always do that one half too many. If I would have just stopped at either a full sandwich or maybe a full sandwich with a half of it, everything would be okay. But I just went, I think I went two sandwiches today. You went two sandwiches? Uh, it was too much. It Who was too much. cheese in your house? Your, you or um, your... Both. Both me and my wife. My wife made it today. But of... It was I, like extra good. She put the sauce on it. Yep. That's actually, she makes it with sourdough, which little uh, pro tip for people out there. Grilled cheese on sourdough is pretty good. So I'm here. I, I another. I what's up? And sourdough. I only get sourdough bread. I don't get any other type of bread. I don't get wheat bread. I don't get white bread. I only deal with the sourdough. Nice. So turkey sandwich. Uh, what what do we got? BLT sandwich. Everything. Salami sandwich. It's all sourdough. Sourdough. Nice. That's good. Good for the jaw. Strong jaw. Mm -hmm. So we got another episode here of Am I Making Sense? I have with us right now, Atu Walker. Thank you very much, oh. Atu, for joining. And I'm not wearing a hat. That's true. You normally have a hat on. I got my hat, but I popped it off just for the, uh, just for the podcast. I was bummed, man. I, um, I almost, I was this close to getting a visit to the barber. They opened up. I set up an appointment with my barber for Thursday. Mm -hmm. And boom, we got shut down again. Oh, that's so, good. yeah, I'm looking at those dog clippers. I might have to just shave my head. Hey, what's up? He's what's your, yeah. What's your son's name again? Otley Zell. It's hard for white people to say. Otley, yeah, that is Otley Zell. Yeah. I, we've met a few times though. He's been on the podcast before. This is true. This is true. Otley Zell, you got your own podcast, don't you? Yeah. I haven't, I haven't worked on it in a little bit, but uh, because I've been out of my home and then uh, the homie who was producing it um, is doing some other stuff right now. So um, me and him are doing a conversation about it, like if I'm going to move on or not. Um, I just haven't had that conversation because I'm kind of giving him his space to figure things out. But um, eventually at some point we're going to go back to it, I think. Um, but the whole COVID thing kind of yeah brought everything to a grinding halt. Yeah, I uh, I I started kicking off in garage podcasts uh, a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. and then I saw what was going on in the news, and I just go, you know what, this isn't this isn't cool. I can't be asking people to get out in the world for just a you know silly podcast of mine. So I'm going back to Zoom calls. I'd much prefer if you were here, and we could. Uh, chop it up yeah. in person but the energy was great last time you know me you and px we had a good conversation it was dope yeah and if you ever want to kick off your uh podcast with your son and you don't know if you're going to have that studio available feel free to swing by the garage i can it doesn't have a i can probably even make some kind of green screen for you in the background i know you had uh green screen in the background originally but um i got the recording stuff here so anytime the garage is open um I sincerely appreciate that. That'll be dope. I'm excited. Yeah. But yeah. hey, I wanted to kick something off because I've had you on the podcast multiple times. Yes. And one thing that we've never talked about, which is actually something I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. So 
I've got a lot of good memories from Caravan Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. But some of the best memories I have is when you bust out the harmonica and oh, yeah. start rocking the room with that harmonica. How long have you been playing harmonica? Um, how long? Oh yeah, uh, since 2000, since 2010. Okay. 2000, 2009, 2010, yeah. And is it something you play regularly? No. You know what happened? I got this job working at uh, the airport. Okay. Um, and somebody gave me a harmonica. I don't remember who it was. Um, it was one of those beginner harmonicas, like okay, with the little, with the little like, uh, with the little instruction booklet. Okay. And so my job at the airport was I was a cash handler. Okay. I my job was to collect money from all of the concepts and then count the money and make the deposits. I was a low key accountant. Nice. Yeah. But I got to touch the money. It was a great. money man. Yeah. And so uh, when I would have to walk the money through the airport, one of my security strategies was to play music while we were walking around. Smart. So like, you know, kind of people would notice us, but like it wouldn't be too weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then, but it got to be weird to a point, but no one ever asked me to stop. I would just kind yeah. of play this rhythmic kind of thing throughout uh-huh. the airport going back and forth um, every day. And it, and it would just be like, Oh, that guy. And the, and, and, you know, some people thought we were travelers, me and my, yeah. my person that I work with, uh-huh. it was just kind of a thing. And I would, and then, and then I just started playing and I would just riff off of things in my head or whatever else. Um, if you've ever been in the San Jose airport, like is this, is this big echo chamber yeah. where you're going down the hall. It's a cathedral. If you're transitioning from uh, the A terminal through the B terminal, right. you're going into the C terminal. When you're in the B terminal, it's, 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 it's this big room and you can hear it bouncing off the wall. And so that's how Built I got in it. reverb. Yeah, yeah, it was dope. I, I loved it. We had a, such a great time. Hey, Atlazelle, get me a beer. There you go. <laughs> Atlazelle's learning the most important lessons. Daddy needs to unwind at the end of the day. Yeah, give, give me one of the ones that are that's not in the box. So, um, how's he been? How's he been holding up with the uh, when you guys went to distance learning? And I'm sure you were having to teach him some school oh, and take time out to do that. How did that all work out? He hates the distance learning. He yeah. wants to be in there with his classmates. He wants to like hang out. He wants to chill out. He wants to play with his friends. Every kid does. Yep. Every kid misses being in school. I, you know, maybe this whole COVID thing will be like a new appreciation for them when they go back. Like they'll respect it more. I hope. Well, I'm hoping we all kind of have that feeling. The only thing that I'm okay with and I don't ever want to go back to is uh, commute traffic. Other than that, there, there's yeah, so many things office, I took for granted. I don't think offices are going to, I think, I think that thing will definitely be dead. Like I think yeah. 
the whole idea of people working from home that has opened up so much stuff for businesses that uh, are offices. Like, um, yeah, you might need some in-person meetings for like product demos and different things like that. Or like, um, like you actually have to touch something and, and, and do something with someone. Um, or maybe like the educational seminars and all, but even that, like half the time you're spending in, in your office, you're on some kind of webinar anyway. So yeah. why even go now? Yeah, that's where I was at. I was, I was already teetering on, you know, the majority of my stuff was through zoom ironically before all this happened. So it was kind of one of those things where I was starting to work from home more often. And then that happened and it was just like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be going in the office, but my kids definitely, it was hard, man, during the uh, distance learning to keep them on track. So I know, I don't know what school district you're in, but the school district that we're in initially had said there will be in-class learning starting in August. They didn't know if it would be five days a week yeah, or every other day. No. Yeah, but now everyone's kind of backtracking and saying that it's going to stick with distance learning. So I don't know what my school district is, but um, my kids definitely want to go back to school and I, I feel bad. You know, what's funny. They'll tell you, my kids will tell you, I, I don't know how, um, your son, ha- uh, has communicated but they'll say, no, we're good. We don't need to be in school, but then something will happen where mm-hmm. they'll get to play with their cousins or they'll see a friend in the street when we're going for a walk and they'll start playing and you'll see how they play. And you know, like, oh, they're missing a huge a huge chunk of their development just by not having kids to run around with and be goofy with and whatnot. Well, that's the other thing too, is like, you got to figure out who your community is and who, who the people you want to be around who have kids and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm very lucky because Otlizel has a bunch of kids in our, in my like families and friend groups where they're all around the same age and stuff. So he's been having some opportunities to kind of, uh, play with people and, and do that whole thing. Um, if it wasn't for that, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Like, can you imagine the kind of parents that shelter their kids and and don't want them to be like around other people in general? And then on, and then COVID crisis happens even and then even more, can you imagine what that could how suffocating that could be? I, I'm glad my son has the opportunity to be able to have some friends. You can actually go hang out with during the week because um, I'm lucky in that way because we have friends. And But if you have your if you do your bubble, if you do your bubble right, you can have up to 10 or 15 people yeah. in your bubble and it, it won't be a problem. Just, you know, check in with folks. Hey, have you been exposed to COVID? No. All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I actually I know people who were kind of uh, a hermit mentality who have children. And then they use this as an excuse to just never even walk outside. And I, and I do think that there's going to be, there's going to be repercussions uh, later on for, you know, kids in that actually any, any K to 12, K to 12, any time in that range, if they've just been in for the last four or five months, I I don't know. Look at the psychological damage is doing to some adults. Can you imagine if you're a little kid, and all you want to do is go outside and play. And every time you ask or even or even the behaviors that they're going to present, even the behaviors that they're going to present, just being in a house and like the whole natural balance of how everything should be is all yeah. upset. Yeah. 
It is. I, I was joking around prior to this. I said, I, I'm a introvert and yeah. this kind of thing is perfect for me. And then it was like a weekend and I realized, oh, I'm not an introvert. I'm actually an extrovert. But it's just when I want my space, I tell myself I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. But then I think these podcasts have been kind of a lifeline. Like, okay, I'm still talking with people. We're just shooting the shit, enjoying each other's company and whatnot. And, um, but you know, when you're walking around the neighborhood and people are like crossing the street to avoid you, you're kind of, Hey, wait, what's going on? <laughs> well, I'm kind of used to that already. That happens. Oh, there we go. Hey, hey, that's a good, that's a good topic change. That's a good topic change because I know you've been doing uh, activism for years for uh, justice reform. Yeah. With what's been going off for the last four or five months, do you think there is progress being made in uh, policing reform, justice reform, and so on and so forth to bring a little more fairness into the system? Or do you think um, this is just another like whoop, whoop, and then people will forget about it again? I think it's just the tip of the iceberg at this point. I think that we need to keep the pressure up. I mean, if, if folks are thinking that some of these wins that we're getting, these little things here and there, uh, but we have to be reminded of, of the fact that uh, Trayvon Martin's killer is still loose. Right. The fact that he even got off and not convicted in the first place is, is, is the number one problem. Uh, the fact that Breonna Taylor's police, the police officers that raided her, did that no-knock warrant and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, they did shoot back in defense of themselves, but at the same time, for them not to catch charges for unloading their clips into yeah. that house and into that woman it is unconscionable. It's unconscionable that they're not even being held accountable for it. Yeah. So, so if we, if, if we're going to do something, if we're really going to do something that changes the, the system, that we need to start having that conversation. We need to stop having political moves with Nancy Pelosi kneeling with Kente cloth, and we need to have some actual real policy that changes the scope and changes the scope and changes uh, how people are accessing the justice system because it's, it's it's very clear that it's not fair for any person that's other than white male. Even yeah. white women don't have the same access to justice as everyone else. So yeah. maybe I'm saying that, but maybe that's not true either because. If you think about it, there are some white women out here that have accused black men of rape and it, it, it wasn't a black man that raped them. Right. And we have so many sentences that are getting commuted because of DNA results um, and murders and all. The, there's so much evidence to present that the justice system isn't just for yeah. black people, for Mexicans, for dark skinned Filipinos, for um Anybody that looks crossways that, that, that isn't a white man. So we have to have white men stay up and say, we have to say, we have to have them stand up and say that this is not okay. Yeah. In droves. We have to have it happen in droves in order for systematic change to happen. It has to happen where everyone sees it for what it is. 
And the problem is that uh, we have all these folks out here with the All Lives Matter movement and the support blue lives and all of this. It's all bullshit. And they know it's bullshit. Yeah. The reality of it is, is people equate they equate themselves with having access to power when they really don't. None of us have power. We're all slaves to this system in some, in one form or fashion. And, and I'll end my rant there. We're all slaves to the system in from some form of fashion and, and no one recognizes it. We all see as like, well, I'm gonna get my shit and fuck everybody else. In reality, the more we do that, the more we don't have access to justice, the more we look at things as I need to take care of myself and not take care of my community, that is what the problem is. We have to look at it as a holistic and a macro approach. Everything that we do personally has an impact on everyone else. Yeah. And we have to start looking at things that way. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've been thinking about the last few years, actually. Because we have, um, so the United, actually, this is probably more than just the United States. I think this is a global phenomenon, but there's a, a, way, a way we fetishize celebrity and fetishize people who end up as like CEOs of tech companies or whatever, to where you got these people as CEOs of whatever, we'll throw it out, Google, Apple, so on and so forth. And then we say, oh, look what they did. They pulled themselves up by the bootstrap. But my thinking is like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. There's an entire support system around them, pushing them up from the guy who's rolling their burrito at lunch, from the person who's maintaining their vehicle. It's making them easy to focus on one thing. And that one thing just happened to become profitable, right? Like who would have known some of these things that have turned profits over the last 20, 30 years? It's like, who would have seen that? But they just had the ability uh, to focus on that one thing. And then it popped. But guess what? There's support systems all around them, enabling the real, them. The real talk, though, no one even it. talks about the failed, the failed tech companies that still get all that support for years and years and years. All that yeah. investment and all those different things that, like, if you remember the first dot-com age, yeah, yeah, the early 2000s, where you had, like, pets.com and all these delivery services that were... Um, that came out like food delivery, like uh, yeah, yeah. All they were too early. <laughs> they were just too early. Yeah, yeah. And they failed, yeah. and they and the system came crumbling down. But right. they got years and years and years, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars of investment, and, and they failed. And then no one thought anything else. And then some people even even the even even after that, they cashed out took their money and then became investors themselves, some of those companies. But yeah. who had access to that wealth? Who had access? White people. Yeah. Well I don't, and- know, any, I don't know any I don't know any black people that uh, went through the first dot com bust and came out on the other end doing well. I know a bunch of white dudes that did. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not that Black, black people in tech companies are like, those, those are the true unicorns, you know? <laughs> All day. All day. I, I met one, I, I met in, I know one black dude that works for Facebook. I have his card. Wow. I haven't called him yet. 
I'm kind of yeah. scared to call him, but I probably should see how he's doing. Uh, but either way, like it, it is, it's it's sad to me that these companies that have all this power and influence are doing the most in not hiring people, uh, doing the most to avoid even hiring uh, yeah. people of color. In my opinion, at this point, they're avoiding doing the work. Yeah. And, they're insulating themselves and acting like whatever whatever is going on isn't real. And the reality of it, it is real. But they've created their own reality. Google has created their own reality for their employees. Facebook has created their own reality for their employees. And they don't, they don't have to deal with the day-to-day shit that everybody else has to deal with. Because yeah. they provided universal health care for all of their employees. Yeah. They provided free food all day for all their employees. They for, they even have dentists and and haircutting spots and all these different things in all of their facilities. And now all that shit is closed and they're still providing the benefit to their employees. Yeah. So so it's fucked up to me. Yeah. It, well, it, and if you even look at it like this, I um even if we let's say we separate so so we're going to circle back to a point you made when you talked about we're all in it together, because I've always thought this, and this isn't my thought. Obviously, this goes back to civil rights in the 60s. But if you had a unification of uh, poor, poor blacks, poor Mexicans, poor Latin, uh, Latinos, and poor whites all together as one force to say we need to organize as, um, as organized labor, and then ask for our piece of the pie that we all helped build, mm-hmm. it, it would be a force to reckon with. So we're gonna, we're gonna, I wanna put a pin in that because I wanna come back to that. But to mention the wealth that corporations have, like corporations, this is a tricky nut to crack, right? Because as far as the law goes, they consider them a person, right? So they have all the protections, but we all know that isn't true. But if you even took the individual wealth, out of those corporations. So you take a Jeff Bezos or a Zuckerberg or whatever. You know, I don't know if they have to or whatever, uh, if it's something that people research, but they kind of, they look into how much these guys donate to charities. Mm. And if they even donated, you know, one, 2% of their net worth, like forget about healthcare. You could buy That's hospitals across. That's, yeah. It's you, a you ridiculous could, amount of money, dude. Oh, yeah. You could take care of everyone's broken bones, everyone's cancer, everyone's COVID. And on top of that, you could probably even build a few schools. <laughs> you or know, even if, even if they just paid the taxes that they're responsible oh, there you go. for yeah. as an individual or as a corporation. Yeah. They're so busy trying to create tax shelters and all this other stuff to avoid paying what us normal working people have to pay in their yeah. taxes. They're busy. They've got their lawyers. They've got the team of their lawyers. They've got their team of, of, of accountants. They got all these people working for them so they can avoid having to pay that. And we have a government that isn't really strong enough or for whatever it's probably in their pocket to they actually ask for their cut. They don't give a shit about holding yeah. these corporations. For example, it, and, and they've looked at it. They've looked into this. They've yeah. looked into this in the sense that 
if they if corporations and the billionaires that run the corporations had to pay their fair share into our system, yeah, where they spend a lot of time and money electing people like uh, uh, these pawns, these political pawns, like uh, like the the pick the a name. They all, they're all there. Pick any a name. Gram, any of them. Yeah, any yeah. of these guys where it's like, well, we want to not pay taxes and all, all of their whole political flat platform of the GOP is to avoid paying taxes. Yeah. So my whole thing is like, wait, wasn't our country built on, hey, if we're going to pay taxes, we deserve representation for those taxes? Yeah, it was. So my whole, one point. Thing, my whole thing is, if you guys are all 1776 about it, then shouldn't you feel responsible as an organization, as an individual to pay your fair share, just like everybody else, instead of avoiding it and, and getting your lawyers and all these other people involved so you don't have to pay? Yeah. That's and what I, I yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm there with you. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be tax because I'm thinking about it. Like how, how much is too much? Because here's the thing. I kind of, you know, I lean towards the hippie socialist uh, commonwealth attitude. Mm -hmm. But like, let's not even talk about taxes, right? Because I, I feel our tax money shouldn't be spent on ways to kill people in deserts on the other side of the planet. It should be spent on schools healthcare, things like that. That's just my mindset. But that's a government pot. But I'm saying like, what if Jeff Bezos even said, oh, you know what? I make whatever he's, whatever he's worth. He's making like 15 million a day or something like that. 30 million a day. He goes, okay, I make 30 million a day. I'm going to pledge that 2 million of that every day. So he still gets $28 million every day, but 2 million of that, I'm going to build a school here, build a school here and build a school there. Like why, why wouldn't that be your mindset if you have more money than you can ever spend in 10 lifetimes? Why wouldn't your mindset be like, oh, maybe I can build school because guess what? I employ people who need to be smart. So I think the more smart people in my community, the better off my whatever it is, interest is. Yeah. So that's the one thing. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like how much money do you need before you just say, maybe it's, you know what? Maybe I'm a dumb guy. Maybe, maybe See, I don't know. That's that's real talk. To be honest with you, like it'd be. It nice. would feel so good if I could give away two million dollars a day. If I was in a position, not give away. I mean, put it into something that helps everybody. It's it's a kind of an unrealistic argument to be like, what if I had Jeff Bezos' money? Because I don't know if I'm that sinister enough, or that socially inept enough to work to a place where I would have that obscene amount of money. It's offensive to me how much money he makes, yet yeah. still I still hit Amazon up and get shit delivered. You know what? Oh Jeff yeah, me did? too. Yeah. You know what he did though? All those little dot-com companies that busted in the first bust, what yeah. did he go do? He went and bought all of them yeah. up. He went and bought all of their technology up. Yes, he did all the work, right? To, yeah. to, to solidify himself in a place of like, this is going to work no matter what. I'm just going to wait it out. And yeah, yeah. he's reaping the, the benefits from it. 
because he was smart enough to create the infrastructure for it, right? Yeah. But none of him is none of his employees are really benefiting from that. If, no. if anything, if, if I'm Jeff Bezos, I would pay my employees more mm-hmm. than anybody else in the world because I yeah. can afford to, yeah. right? And, and I would make it such a desired position. I would make it such a desired position in of, of everything. I would treat my employees better than Google treated their employees. Yeah. You know, you understand what I'm saying? If we're talking about creating equality and creating opportunity for people, mm-hmm. then the opportunity means that like, if you get an opportunity to work some job in whatever it means, anywhere, then that job should be able to afford the opportunity to buy a house and to set your set your family up for sustainable wealth, right? That's how I think. So let's do this. So we're, we're in a, we're in agreement on this. Let's play devil's advocate. What are we missing that we think this way? (laughs) Because I feel like so many people are striving for what he has and people are willing to sacrifice their well, well being, their health, their relationships with family, um, their relationship with friends, their community, they're willing to sacrifice this to go for this brass ring that Jeff Bezos and whoever else, uh, what's the Tesla's guy name? Um, uh, Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Like they go for it, right? And so but there's so many people. So why do we think this way? We think this way because we've been around poor people and they haven't ever. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. So imagine your circle of friends and the people you grew up with your entire life and everything that you strive to be as an adult, right? You go through college, you go do all these different things. Well, whoever Jeff Bezos is, I don't know enough about his story. Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't be honest with you, but to talk this, I know at some point he decided not to have any more poor poor friends. I'm sure none of his friends are poor people. I'm sure people that work for him are poor. Yeah. I'm sure his housekeeper is poor, but he probably doesn't even acknowledge her existence. Yeah, that could be. He's got that much money where he can just ignore a human. (laughs) He can insulate himself in a cash suit. I'm not feeling shit. That's the thing. That's the thing. I've been in line. I'm a black person. I can tell you something a black black person experiences a lot. Okay. Is you get in a line somewhere and... Doesn't matter what the line, doesn't matter what you're in line for. There's somebody in front of you that's probably a white guy. And no matter what you do, you say hi to them, you try and shoot the shit, or like you're just in generally with the friendly vibe. Yeah. But this person won't turn around, won't look at you, won't acknowledge your existence on any level. And you can feel that emotionally. Hmm. You can feel it emotionally. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. You can feel it when somebody's actively ignoring you. And yeah. it takes a lot of energy for somebody to do that, to hate that much where their presence doesn't even matter. Yeah. Where, they, th- won't even, where they won't even hold the door for you when you walk out. Right. Do you think... Um, do you think that white people have built up more of a callus to be able to behave that way? And then 
which in turn has made black people more aware of what's going on to where the white person is probably not even aware that that kind of behavior is happening and every black person sees that? Um, it's interesting because if you look at all the Karen videos, what are, what are, what's Karen upset about? She always says black man. If you look at if you look at all this, if you look at those videos, they're typically upset about something they feel like is a rule, and that oh right, they feel it's something that they, that is a rule, and it should apply to the person that they're talking to, but that rule definitely doesn't apply to them. Yeah, why would the they hypocrite? Feel, why would they feel so righteous in that moment to say something right? Yeah. Like uh, if you're talking about the original Karen, the, the lady of the, the, the barbecuing at Lake Merritt, when everybody yep. was upset about that in Oakland and, and a woman's like, well, she's on the phone and calling the police and the police came out and was like, yo, there's nothing really. What, yeah, you yeah. Do? what do you really want us to do here? Right. And she blew up her own spot because. Right. She, number one, she didn't know the culture of Lake Merritt. Yeah. Number two, she's some outsider coming in and she feels like she knows better than everyone else around her without doing any research, without checking in with anyone, without anything. So you traditionally, as a human being, we're taught to observe the things around us and learn from them at some point. Yeah. But when you're a person of that privilege, where you don't have to do any work. Right. And you walk into a situation uh, and you take up space and, and you don't, that's, you assume that space is built for you. Right. Does that make any sense? Like when you- No, walk, it does. When you it walk does. into a bank, who, when you walk into any bank, what experience are you experiencing in that bank? When I walk into a bank, I'm like, yo, this is a lot of unnecessary shit. Yeah. To me, the, a lot of banks have high ceilings. They're these grand cathedrals. They're built like churches almost. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, who yeah. Likes, who likes churches with big, long, wide ceilings and shit? White people. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I was trying to work, speaking of bits, this is a, uh, or banks, I've been trying to work on a bank bit. And this, I think is indicative of my whiteness. No. I go to the bank once a year and it's to get crisp. Yeah. I I go to get crisp bills for Chinese New Year's. But after that, all my banking is just electronic, either an app on a phone or a web page. And it's been that way since like, 2001. So when COVID hit, um, the banks started doing uh, social distancing. And, yeah. and I saw people wrapped around banks. I go, who goes to banks? But it's been that way. Like there's always a line around a bank, but I just don't go to banks. Is that a white thing you think? or No, it, banking is weird. Uh, especially if you bank with Bank of America. Like I see people in lines at Bank of America and I'm like, you should stop banking with them because they're the worst bank on earth. Uh, they stole so much money during the mortgage crisis um, and they got bailed out because yeah, they're yeah. one of the biggest banks because everybody banks with them because they're everywhere, right? They're everywhere, yeah. And, and people bank with them out of convenience more mm-hmm. than they bank with them um, to protect their money. Uh, and 
a lot of people, what they do is they bank with Bank of America. And if they need cash, then they have to go and stand in line and go to their ATMs because Bank of America doesn't let you bank at any other institution. If you go to another ATM mm-hmm. and you have a Bank of America card, they're going to charge you. That bank is going to charge you like 4 or $5 and Bank of America is going to charge you 4 or $5. And this mm-hmm. is after uh, the mortgage crisis. At the mortgage okay. crisis, that's when they created that rule uh, because I think the Obama administration said something like, um, everybody should be able to bank everywhere. And, and, and they were like, well, no, fuck that. We're going to mm. charge you. Okay. And they also charged the, the largest overdraft fees. They charge transfer fees. They charge fees for everything. You look at Bank of America wrong and they charge. So to me, it's like, why? I, I, I moved to a credit union a long time ago. Yeah. And I've been with credit unions ever since. I've been much happier banking with credit unions um, just because they're all about the community. They're all about right. protecting their group of people. It's a co-op. That's basically yeah. what it is. And, and Bank of America is nothing but a thirsty-ass corporation out here stealing people's money on a day-to-day. How yeah. can, can you imagine if you're, if, you're, if you're your last $10, and this has happened to people who bank at a Bank of America. Imagine you're you have only ten dollars in your in your bank account. Yeah. And you go to uh, McDonald's and you buy something for eleven dollars. Then it's gonna of, end up being thirty-four dollars or something like that. Right. Instead of rejecting the transaction, which oh. you can do. Yes. Which the Bank of America can do. The they tech is there, it. it's been there since day one. They can reject the transaction and say, yeah. you don't have the money. Yeah. Any bank can do this. Any bank can do this. Instead yeah. of doing that, what Bank of America does is, oh, you need $11? All right, here. And then they charge you $34 yep. for that $11. And then they'll, they'll let you keep the $10. They'll take the whole $10 and still charge you $34 for that extra dollar. Oh, so fucked up. And they'll justify it with a straight face. They'll justify it with a straight face. And then they limit how much you can overdraft without even telling you. Yeah, so yeah. You can't overdraft $1,000. You can't overdraft $50. You can, only, you can overdraft on these small infinitesimal transactions. Yeah. And that's them just saying, you can take the leash out this far, but then we're going to yank it back. But you can't take that leash out that far because we may not be able to yank it back. Isn't that predatory? Isn't that a little fucked up? Isn't that only dealing with poor people? Because who's worried about $10 and eating at McDonald's? A poor person. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to charge them $34 to have that meal? They're on the brink of starvation. They paid their rent. They paid their electric bill. They paid their phone bill. They only have $10 left and they want to make their kid happy for that night. The next day they're getting direct deposit. They're not worried. Yeah. But they're charging them $34, which is going to take more meals out of their kid's stomach. All that. It's dark. 
It, it's some sinister shit. Yeah. It's some fucked up shit. Who comes up with that policy? Karen. Yeah. 100%. So, That's the problem. So let's, let's jump back to that earlier topic um, yeah. where we're talking about organization, um, commonwealth, and people getting together of all skin colors, all religions, whatnot, but more on a class base. So I guess in the old days, when I'll say pre-80s, uh, not pre-80s, let's say, let's say a mid-90s before Clinton took office, I kind of looked at the Democratic Party, and this was with a child's mind, right? Because I was younger back then. But I looked at it as, and this is what was told to me by my family and kind of instilled through what bits I could put together as a kid. And in retrospect, looking at it, I think this is, this is what we would categorize it as. Um, you have left, let's say pre-Clinton, who was more or less concerned with um, taking care of working class, right? To make sure you made a couple good points about being able to afford a home, um, being able to afford meals, being able to afford things that will help position your children um, to be able to have nice things, comfortable life. Um, I looked at them as more or less the voice and the political party to protect that notion. Mm -hmm. And then you had the Republicans and they were protecting the banks, right? <laughs> so that's kind of, it was a very simplistic childlike like view. Do you feel left and right means something different now? I, I feel that class isn't often discussed. And in fact, I feel that these big news agencies, the CNNs and the uh, Foxes, they actually play a subverted class war where they're trying to get, um, in the case of like Fox, they're trying to get poor white people fired up that a brown person is their problem. And I don't think CNN is actively inciting people, but they're, they're, they're kind of getting away from the core problem, which I, I believe is the consolidation of wealth up top and not enough distribution amongst everyone who's contributing throughout society. Do you think um, there is a political party out there that represents that take or that thought pattern where it's like, okay, okay, we all are here now and we all want to work and we all want to contribute, but we all want to have a nice community. Who, who do we vote for, for that notion? Is that out there? or not really? We need to get away from relying on any party to fight for what we want as, as people. Uh, I think realistically, uh, people don't realize our own power within the political system. Okay. Yes, we have the power to vote, um, but we have direct influence over our, we have direct influence over our elected officials. We do, um, just as much as a corporation, just as much as a lobbyist uh, that get paid by corporations to be in these fools' faces every day. And I can tell you right now, the big difference between the movement that's happening right now and the movement that happened in let's say the 60s and 70s and the 80s, Oh, the whole time the movement's been happening since since the slaves were freed in 1863, uh, according to the Emancipation and Proclamation. But uh, since day one, there has been resistance against this uh, racist and tyrannical uh, corporate society. 
Mm-hmm. You have to understand that they have suppressed our ability to be able to connect directly with our electorate. Yeah. You feel kind of, sometimes you feel hopeless when you cast a vote because you go, I don't know, what does this person really represent? Because you mentioned the word lobbyist. I, I, what kind of, what's going that on there? feeling that you have yeah. of maybe my vote, vote doesn't count is because of all of the work that the billion dollar people do to mm-hmm. make sure that you feel that way. Yeah. If, 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 you, if you look at it like the movie, The Matrix, the reason yeah. why the movie The Matrix was so popular among people of color, among people who are downtrodden, among all this thing is because how that situation could possibly happen is how it could possibly really happen in our society. If we view the corporation as the machines. Mm. Oh, it's a metaphor. Yeah. So that's the idea, right? The idea is we have a lot more power than we think. We are all Neo. We are all Neo. We have a lot more power than we think. And right now, the Black Lives Matter movement is Morpheus. They're telling everybody, hey, you have power. Go exercise your power. Get out in the streets. Get out there and say and demand things. Yeah. And and what's been happening? People are making concessions. We have a Black Lives Matter. uh, uh, We have a Black Lives Matter industry in front of Trump Tower right now because of that. We have it in front of multiple city halls throughout the country. We have some cities themselves that have paid for Black Lives Matter to be written in the streets in front of their buildings. Yeah. Because, because the Black Lives Matter didn't start yesterday. It started when Trayvon Martin got murdered. It's been years. Michael Brown got murdered. All these people, Eric Gardner, all these people have died. Philando uh, Castile, uh, Sandra, uh, Sandra Bland, all these people have, have passed on. And, and, it's, and it's still continuing to happen because we have to recognize that we have power as individuals. We have to recognize that we can do something about it and we can demand justice. And we need to keep going out there and, and doing it until... Uh, we we get it. And even when we do get it, we can't give it up. We can't yeah. give up the idea that we need to have equality for everyone. It's not just for you, it's for me. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird if I, it, it's weird the fact that it even exists. The fact that, the fact that uh, an HR director feels comfortable questioning the fact that an, I know an HR director right now that feels comfortable uh, questioning the behavior of black people right now. Like, yeah, like almost this person almost sent an email to everyone to say, Hey, if you're participating in the movement, you can't take days off. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Like this well, person for, almost I, almost it, sent an email to all the employees at a corporation to say, "Hey, if you take days off and we find you at a protest, you will lose your job." Well, it it makes sense. So it's not um, moral or ethical, but it makes sense if you apply the current logic of profit profit at all all other expense because you say, oh, okay, that's not even legally responsible. That's not even legally responsible for that company because you open yourself up to a lot of liability there. Oh yeah, no, I would say all that. Come on, be like yeah, I would say she would be in big trouble if she sent that out. But no, but what I'm saying is. Her reasoning is this. So again, I got to play devil's advocate, jump into her mind. Her mind is like this. So this is a misconception with HR is that people think HR is there to protect the worker. No, they're there to protect the organization. The machine, as you put it, about uh, the matrix. So they protect the machine. So what she's saying is she says, well, wait a minute. You know, these people may have a movement that, is worthwhile, it is ethical and it's moral, but we have a profit to turn here. So please don't go out and take time away from the company. And then, but see, here's what doesn't, here's what doesn't add up to me is vacation time is actually, if someone takes vacation time, that's good because it you gets money even, off their books. Legally, you can't even ask someone no. why they're out sick. No, you can't. You can take, say, like I tell my employees, if, if they're, you're going to tell me that you're going to be out sick, just say, I need a sick day. Yeah. I don't even know why you're out. Nope. I don't Nobody's even want to. I don't even. I don't. I don't even want to have that. You know what I'm saying? No. Think you're a sick day. I don't give a fuck, B. Yeah, yeah. But if you know what I'm saying, like, it it's irresponsible of us to think that people don't have other stuff going on that they can't be dedicated to their jobs and this and that. And and it it comes from that mentality. It comes from that mentality of of subjugation, oppression, and all these different things. You know, people get in a position of power and all they want to do is push down. Yeah. It's bullying in its purest form. And it it fucking sucks. Uh, But if I ever was to get in a director position at any job, my whole, the whole thing I'm going to be talking shit about is like, why the fuck do you guys feel like you can talk to people the way the fuck that you do? Yeah. We have to... If you have a position of extreme responsibility, for example, Obama's a really good example of this. You remember when um, a lot of people came out when he was campaigning and he was going to that church and the, the black man that ran that church said some inflammatory things about white people, which were very true, which are still true. I don't recall that. Um, but um, it makes sense. It makes sense something that would happen. So Barack Obama went to this church in Chicago with his wife all the time. Okay. And oh, yes. Now I remember. Now I remember. He, it wasn't even that he said it for Obama or when Obama was there. It was just he was associated with some things, right? Yes. And yeah. it was like some other sermon that this guy was talking about. He was, he was really talking – in that sermon, he was talking about all the youth that were dying in Chicago mm-hmm. and, and the difference of how people are not uh, doing anything about it. That's what he was talking about. And he was yeah. talking about systematic oppression. That's what he was talking about. And you have to remember, at that time, all these people got upset with Barack Obama that he would associate himself mm. with some black man that spoke all these 
vicious words towards the white community. And yes. Ooh, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid yeah, Barack yeah. Obama believe any of that and associate himself with any of that. Yes. You remember this? I do remember this. And, and go ahead. And and it, it made me sick to my stomach. But you know yeah. what Barack Obama did? He uh. came out and, and, and did a speech that was basically like, yeah, I agree with this dude. Mm. And you guys are wrong. Yeah. But that's how his, that's how his speech read to me. I can't quote it verbatim. I can't go to you and this and that and other. And a lot of people felt like a Barack Obama came out and apologized and this that. Number one, he didn't apologize. Number two, he basically broke everything down. Yeah. He said, we have a problem in America when a black man can't voice his opinion about what America actually is to him and feel safe. Yeah. Well, in this latest round uh, news cycle that kicked off the, I guess, what would we call this? The second BLM movement? Yeah, no, because it's, movement. it's been happening since day one. So we're just going to call it the movement. This, okay, so the B, okay. Think of it that way. Think of it as like this equality movement has been happening ever since this country was born. Yeah. We're a young ass country. We haven't been around for a thousand years like Great Britain. We, we, we've, this is an infinitesimal amount of time compared yeah. to some of the other institutions that have existed for eons, you know? Okay, so what I'll do, I'll use this as a marker. So George Floyd. Yeah. Once the media blew up about George Floyd, you would hear these things. And I, and as a white person, again, I don't think I'm tuned to hear these things. Yeah. But you hear the way the media frames up certain stories and you go, wait a minute, that was just backhanded the way that that story, even, even if it's meant to be a positive story or, or meant to spin something, it's backhanded. And for instance, you see this all the time in the media about when protests, which is, guess what, First Amendment right? Right. When it turns to a certain segment, which might riot or loot, then that becomes the story. Not the First Amendment about people marching in the streets. It's about this other thing. And it gets into this kind of backhanded questioning the core um, message, which is Black Lives Matter. It's like, well, no, no, no. So yeah. first off, a lot of this looting now, I'm not even convinced is black people from black communities. I think it could be um, alt-right people. I think it could be um, potentially government agency. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to go down too far down the conspiracy thing, but yeah. I've seen enough video now um, non through the non-news feed of white people smashing windows, of white people pulling things out to think, okay, yes, there are also black people breaking into black neighbor uh, <laughs> stores and black neighbors, but I think it's it's tricky when you start doing that. But the media fixates on these things to really turn things to this negative point of view. And now I'm seeing it like, wait a minute, this is, they're trying to find a cop-out to take the main story uh, out of the, um, I guess, out of the, the conversation, which the main story is, wait, how did we get here? <laughs> Why are we here? Let's not even worry about the property damage yet. 
let's worry about the core thing, which is people are out there trying to say, no, 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 this is the tea part. This is, this is another movement that you can uh, equate to a revolution because we haven't experienced equality yet. We don't even know what it looks like. We don't know what it feels like. Well, here's the difference, right? Remember when the Giants won the World Series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. What happened that night? Shit, shit gets burned in the happiest of occasions. Uh, remember when the Lakers won uh, their their last their last two championships? Even it did did stuff burn then too? Hell yeah, yeah. They toppled teeth. They toppled police cars. They did all this other fucking shit. It was all manner of people. It was all colors. All people involved. Yeah, right? and it was a footnote if that in the news. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's that's something I caught on on this last one where I go, this isn't this isn't accurate journalism. It's, it's it's you have to understand that the 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 the, the things that you're questioning now and, and and the fact that maybe you didn't question them before mm-hmm. is part of the systematic how deep it goes within the system. Yes. You, you have to understand that even going to get your driver's license for a person of color is, is a difficult situation. Can yeah. you imagine going there and you've never had an ID before and you're a Mexican woman, but your name is Cynthia Martin? Yeah. And you go to get your 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 driver's license. You have your birth certificate and all this other stuff. And, and you go to some whoever it is. It could, it could be anybody that works for the DMV. They're not going to question Cynthia Martin that looks like a white woman, mm. right? They're going to yeah. heavily question someone else. Yeah, they're going to heavily be like, ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And our institutions are built around not providing access or equal access to people other than the folks that they feel like deserve it. And that's right. what sucks. That's what sucks. And it comes and it comes to play in media. Uh, it comes to play when people uh, need to have access to things. When yeah. there's a resource that someone feels that they have the power to restrict someone from. Um, if we if we look at housing policy, it was the federal government's policy. Not not it was the federal government's policy to redline neighborhoods. Yep. To prevent black people who could afford black people, Mexican people, Jewish people, gay people, to prevent them from buying into the supposed pristine communities. Yeah. That's how fucked up shit has been. And for us to try and act like, and this is the thing that bothers me about white people. And and I don't mean to harp on it, but this is the thing that bothers me that people who have that privilege, the, the privilege of, of not knowing what's really going on. Right. right? Uh, not knowing that, that it was easy for them to get a house when it was very, very difficult for their Indian neighbors to get a house, but they still go out and they don't talk to their Indian neighbors at all on any level for any reason, but their Indian neighbors 
come over, have been by their house and said, hey, we're having a party. You guys can come over. But they but, but their next door neighbors don't go because they're afraid. Mm. They've never had to live next door to Indian people before. Oh my God, I don't know anything about their culture. <laughs> what am I what am I gonna do? They invited us to their party. What are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, you, I, I know that you get it, but I I'm I'm saying this to say that when you live with that privilege, it's easy. Is it's everything is easy for you. Yeah. Everything everything doesn't come, everything that you experience in your life comes on, on a pathway where it's served up to you on a pallet, like you're at a party and, and the trays just passed around and you're making choices. Yeah. Whereas, Ooh, that's a good one. Whereas a black person, you have to, you have to be the person serving the tray in order to get access to that. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, you got to be. So I know it makes a lot of sense. So let's say if you know a certain trade, like let's say, you know, real estate, then as a black person, you might be able to put your hand on that tray and grab something. But if you don't know real estate, if it's not your trade, it's not as easy as a white person just going, oh, I know Bob and he knows real estate. So what do I do, Bob? And then he goes, well, here's a tray. This comes with you to the plate. Hey, here, here's it for you, bro. Here, take, take your pick. Whereas a black person has to go get the job and then go, hey, 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 if you want to come get this job, come get this job. Or, or I know a few other people with plates or or it's at the end. It's at the end of the party. And yeah. you and they and then some benevolent white person decides, hey, uh, we're not going to take this food home. Uh, do you want it? Hmm. And that's what it is. We've been taking the scraps off the table since day one. And that's how it's always been. White people are only comfortable with black people having access to wealth if it comes from their scraps. So what is, so you talked about the benevolent white person. Do, do, can you uh, do a real world scenario of that? Because one thing that makes me really uncomfortable, but I think is uh, it's a necessary step to progress, but I really am uncomfortable with the white savior mentality where white people are like, oh, we're gonna adopt the cause now, we're gonna do this, and then they go out there thinking like, oh, this is gonna be a Hollywood movie because I'm gonna do this, that, the other, and then black people are gonna love me. That makes me so uncomfortable. You, you talk about at the top of the podcast where um, some of the senators, I, Pelosi, I think was one of them with the, kneeling and the thing i I was like oh no (laughs) oh no how cringe we how cringe was that was that for you and then what are some other imagine if you're a black person on the black carcass and you've been working imagine john lewis imagine the the him being he was there that day imagine john lewis all of his life all of his life yeah working for equality they still do nothing to in policy that that breaks down or or pushes things or anything like that. He's hearing excuses and excuses and excuses and excuses and excuses. And imagine your boss showing up one day in kente cloth. 
I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw with a lot of things in this, this last few months because I feel like, you know, I can't, for me personally, um, I can say and I can behave in a way that say, I want to have a good vibe. I want to have a good vibration with everyone, right? I want to be invited to that Indian buffet because I love Indian food. I want to be that exactly. guy. That food's great, right? It's so good. Oh, it's my favorite food. Um, and by the way, my neighbor is Indian and she's cooked me a lot of different awesome dishes. She and did, every time you, you met her because she came by your house and was like, yo, what's cracking? I, yeah, I, I, I don't know who was first, but we definitely, I try to be neighborly with everyone in my neighborhood. So I talk with everyone, but I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get your point and your point is valid. And 100%, I think there is a large percentage of the white community who does behave that way and think that way. And so where was I going with this? So when I see some of these things, I go, look, I can't change the fact that I'm white. So that means I'm not going to jump in and behave black to help a black person. Or I'm not even going to try and co-opt a black mentality or uh, whatever. But I feel like there's got to be a way to be helpful without being disingenuous. So I guess what would be your most disingenuous thing that you've witnessed? And then what would be something that you were just like, oh, yeah, that was cool. That was a good way to uh, extend a hand and either be helpful, but not in a um, patronizing way or a way to, um, mm. you know, kind of bridge the gap. Maybe someday we can come to some kind of um, society that everyone feels good about and everyone's like, yeah, this is, we built something nice. Okay, so you are you familiar with this term called Indian giving? Yeah. So, that term comes from a white person promising something and then taking it away when it didn't benefit them. And they, and, and we call it Indian giving. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the, the fact that it's a named Indian giver. Yeah. Puts the blame of the unethical behavior on the wrong party. I can't, I, with one statement, that, that is essential, that is an essential, but, but supposed benevolent white person or white non, nonprofit coming in to help these poor little people and they can't, oh, they don't know how to live and they're savages. Oh, let's clean them up and yeah. buff them up and put them in suits and, and let's hope they change the world. When they're not doing anything to support the, the building of their education or, or, or building the wealth in their community. There are two things that can change the paradigm of any community is equal access to education mm. and equal access to wealth. Yeah. And and those two things make huge differences. But you have to understand that even the benevolent white person that feels like they're doing good or they go to Costa Rica to build a house, they don't give a fuck about what happens to that person after the house is built. Right. They're on vacation with their homies. They're there to fuck off and get drunk and have sex with random Costa Ricans. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, your kid likes that one. <laughs> Even my kid gets that. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, yeah. That is the level of privilege that they're coming at it with. So it has to be an extended in investment into whatever, like walk, walk your talk, your talk, walk your walk, or something like that. Right? It's even more than that. In order for us to dismantle the 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 racist the the racist ideals that these systematic oppression systems have come from, we have to get away from the idea that. Um, we need white people to help us out. Yeah. We you just need white people to not fuck you over. We need white people to take a seat. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> take, take, take your privilege, take your money. If anything, if anything is like, give it all up. Give it all up. Stop. Pump the brakes. For, for, for me, for me, for me, I would love it if Jeff Bezos was like, I've made enough money. Let me give all of this money back just to the black community. Yep. He could give the, all of the black community in America a leg up by just giving up one year's worth of his annual salary. One year. We're not yeah. asking for it. he can he can give he can give he can give all that money up and and, and he will solve our reparations problem immediately. Actually that is true. That is true. There's so much wealth in some of these tech guys that reparations would be they probably wouldn't even feel it. They would still have a yacht, they would still have their homes, they would still have their plans to go to Mars and they wouldn't even feel it. Look at what the guy from Twitter is doing. If it wasn't for black Twitter, Twitter wouldn't even be Twitter. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you have to understand that, like, who's using and accessing your services? They have the data. They know who using and accessing all of this stuff. Black people spend more money per capita than any other group in the world. And we're only uh, 14, 15% of the population in America. We spend a lot of money. We have a lot of influence over popular culture because black people are dope. Yeah, yeah. If you look at entertainment, it's disproportionately the the influences that every, so every white person who plays rock and roll follows back to Chuck Berry, right? All day. And so, and, and it goes on and on with comedy, with whatever, performance art, singing, it just, so disproportionately, yeah, that that's that's true. Disproportionately, and we're talking about innovative innovative ideas and, and tech and and the internet, and all this type of stuff. All of it goes back to some type of person that had to work hard, that was a person of color, and that some somebody saw it and took advantage of the situation. Peanut yeah. butter is the perfect example of the situation. Ooh, there we go. I like that. We wouldn't have chocolate. We wouldn't have chocolate if it wasn't for white privilege and exploitation of a particular community. Do you know where chocolate comes from? South America, right? Yes. If it wasn't for the conquistadors. Yeah. 
If it wasn't for slavery, if it wasn't for any of that, if, 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 if none of that happened, there would be no chocolate worldwide. If, if nobody... There wouldn't be chocolate. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be pasta. There wouldn't be tomatoes. The things that Italians crave the most, chocolate, pasta, spaghetti, would, wouldn't exist if they never left home. Yeah. Definitely. There, there's been a lot of, uh, there, there's been a lot of taking good ideas. I mean, all the good ideas. I mean, come on, chocolate? Yeah, chocolate. We got to have chocolate. That's something we can all agree on. Hey, I, I, we may have to do a part two of this political discussion, but Atu, I got, we got to get into it with comedy too, before yeah. I wrap up the podcast. Right. I, I, I will, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history person, so like. No, I, I am too, and I appreciate it. And the last time you were on the podcast, you gave me a good civics lesson, which we could have gone that route too. Um, yeah. but, but I think we'll just do another podcast. We'll book it for another month or whatever. But I wanted to talk about comedy too. Yeah. So we're in a different era. Yeah. We're now in the Zoom era. <laughs> the Zoom era, for real. We don't know, uh, you know, we just don't know uh, when we'll be back on stage doing quote unquote the real thing, right? Like we don't know what real is anymore. So what I wanted to ask you is I wanted to get your opinion on what a healthy comedy scene will look like in the next six months. Do you have any ideas? Do you have an opinion? I, I'm going to be very clear about this and, I, and, and, I, and don't get me the wrong way. I love comedy. Um, yeah. But I love, I love people more. I love people more. And yeah. I want to see my friends and family survive this pandemic. Yeah. And we all need to be more realistic with ourselves and each other about the impact of this. Mm -hmm. The impact of it, if we look historically, if we look back in 1918, if we look at all the times in between this, that, another, it will have an impact for the next decade. Yes. One way or another. And we all need to decide how we're going to survive it. Are we going to survive it by following the protocols that Singapore and South Korea instituted, instituted in order for them to have like no cases right now? Or are we going to continue to pretend that this virus can't impact you. Yeah. And the problem with America is we lie to ourselves way too yeah, yeah. much. Denial. And we don't have the river, but we have the psychological uh, <laughs> mindset. And, and, and realistically, all of that comes from the misinformation that we exchange between each other all the fucking time, which yeah. includes all of these, these racists and all these different things. Since the, since the war of 18, 1812, we've been shooting misinformation to each other um, via media outlets for a long ass time. Yeah. There hasn't been journalistic integrity ever in no. this country. Nope. There's been journalistic integrity for racist white people <laughs> because yeah. the, the, their beliefs are supported by 
by their media and all the people, the power players that own the medias, the 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 window, uh, the, the 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 William Randolph Hearst of the world. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we we all need to be very realistic about what the impact really is, and and we need to follow the protocols. And until there is a viable um, low impact uh, vaccine that will protect people and allow us the opportunity to have herd immunity, uh, just like with the flu situation, um, then, but even the flu was a pandemic. Oh, the flu was so bad this year. Both my daughters ended up getting pneumonia from the flu. They, they never got tested for COVID, but I'm sure, well, actually it wasn't. They got tested for influenza. They didn't have influenza. They have some mystery thing. But when they had it, it we didn't have the, as many tests for COVID. So they were just saving the tests for first responders. And even they weren't getting the test. But, but yeah, the, the influenza season, I don't know how your kid's school was, but my kid's school was like decimated from December until basically they got shut down in March. But there were so many kids missing. Like I would say 15% of every classroom at any given time was out due to this, whatever it was that was going around. Which was COVID. <laughs> it was probably COVID. It probably was COVID. It was, yeah, it was yeah. COVID. It yeah. was COVID. That, that's been proven in the research. But the problem with uh, our federal government at this particular time is they don't want to do the tracing, which every other country that's gotten their numbers really low They've done the, the tracing, mm. done the tracing. And if we want to get ahead of this thing, then we're going to have to start tracing where, the, where we're getting sick from. Well, so this are testing everyone and it's going to suck to get yeah. everyone tested, but we're going to have to do it to test everybody to find out what pockets of what communities are, are and where people, who are actually getting the disease from. So, Atu, you, but the problem is you just revealed another major flaw yeah. that we have in this country. Right. We have no national healthcare system, so we have no centralized oh. databases. So, oh. <laughs> so oh. We, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know what's funny about that situation? Nothing. <laughs> no, nothing's funny about it. But the woman that tried to get all of us universal health care, you know what they did? Mm. They demonized her. They made her, they, they, they did a whole, uh, they did a whole thing. Uh, they brought up all of her, uh, they brought up a bunch of cases that she worked on and interviewed a bunch of people. They, they disrespected her husband while, she, while he was a president. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Clinton tried to get us universal health care in the early 90s. That's one thing I don't I don't understand how we can say yes to police departments. Yes, to fire departments. And yes, to public education and then no to health care. I don't. That's because, one thing I've never understood. Because they just dis they discovered profits in the healthcare. Ah, uh, that's right. Okay, see, so it all comes back to turning profits in areas where it shouldn't be turning profits. No, we shouldn't be turning profits when it comes to healthcare. We shouldn't be turning profits when it comes to food either. 
as far as I'm concerned. Mm. If you're a restaurant, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But like... For your lettuce, tomatoes, and, and pasta. They're, they're, if you're making a sustainable product, that should be the goal, right? If yeah. you're making a product that's sustainable and good for the earth, back and forth. If I'm the federal, if I'm running the federal, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, my whole focus right now would be like to stave off uh, uh, all of greenhouse effects that could possibly happen within the food industry. And you know how you do that? Make everything sustainable and organic and local. Yeah. That's how you do that. I wouldn't ship if I would make a rule as a federal drug administration. If if you're shipping things more than fifty miles away from you, then there's a big problem. Yeah, and we got stuff coming from South America. We got stuff coming from South America. We got stuff coming from China. We got stuff coming from factories. <laughs> we got we got there. That's this, too much. It, it, you know, food, drinking water is just unregulated. Most yeah. of it is unregulated. They can say yeah. anything they want on a package and, and feed it to us. And it doesn't matter if it's organic or not or whatever, whatever. There is no, there is no bite to the Food and Drug Administration. They're in cahoots with the drug, the drug agencies. Uh, the reason why we have diabetes so rampant in America, which most people who are dying from COVID have that pre-existing condition of diabetes. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, you if mentioned- your liver is weak, you're probably going to die from COVID. Uh, yeah. Talking about water, it's ridiculous what goes on with bottled water. That bottled stuff, they could water. be, they could literally be draining a toilet water, into a bottle and call it spring water. They still fix the pipes in Flint. <laughs> yeah. We've been, that, that, that happened five years ago now. Five mm-hmm. years ago, we've been- they still haven't fixed the pipes in Flint. And a bunch of administrators from that city profited from not doing anything. That's how fucked up that situation was. That's it's criminal. criminal. It's criminal. And no one's been brought up on charges on that. And what community does it affect the most? The black people that are still there that used to work in the factories in that community. Yeah. And they literally have lead pipes, lead-lined pipes that the water comes from for their children and their communities for generations upon generations upon generations. And they did nothing. When they even knew it was installed that way, they did nothing to prevent it. They did nothing to change it. They allowed it to happen because it didn't affect them. The white community that lives right next door to Flint doesn't have that problem because they, what did they do? They changed it. Yeah. And so that's the thing. That's the essential problem, right? That uh, black communities, brown communities, Asian communities, everything is disposable until it affects uh, the white community. We're talking about the war on drugs. The war on drugs is a war on poor people, not white people. But anybody that's poor and wants to get high, it's a war on you. But if you're a white person, you get caught with a bag of cocaine, ain't nobody going to say shit. You're not going to go to jail for life. There's a dude in prison right now. 
who got charged and arrested and convicted 20 years to life for a bag of weed, bro. Yeah. That's brutal. Serving life right now for a bag of weed. Is that in California? I don't know if it's California. I can't remember what state it's from, but that's outrageous to me. That is outrageous. That's not right. In, in all of the information that we have about uh, cannabis and all this and that, it's an innocuous situation. It's not even, it's not any different than a, a can of beer or a cigarette or anything else or a cup of coffee for how much it affects your body one yeah. way or another. You know what I'm saying? We don't, I haven't heard. Oh, I would, I would make the argument alcohol is way more sinister than, I, I don't know, alcohol is probably more sinister than some, some of the amphetamines uh, or other things that are out there because that, once it gets your ho- its hooks in you, you're it, that's it, you're toast. Yeah, but there's, ext- I, I mean, I'm, I mean, if we were talking about more things, but like it, realistically, like drugs and all that type of stuff is a problem. Sugar is a problem. <laughs> oh, that's another one. No one talks about there's sugar. Drug too. Yes. <laughs> and sugar is everywhere. Good luck cutting sugar out. I tried it before. I went on this little experiment. I'm going to do no sugar for, you know, a week or two. Watch it's, how much weight you drop. You drop weight, you feel good, your energy levels, but guess what? You're eating celery, carrots, and uh, hard-boiled eggs. That's your diet. Because <laughs> anything that's been processed is bland and needs sugar. So sugar's in pretty much everything. Yeah, and, and, and it fucking sucks. Yeah. And, I mean, but the vegetables are good for you. Uh, vegetables are good for you, but like at the end of the day, like that, that these are the issues. These are the th- these are the challenges that face every person in America right now, and yep. um, we need to develop that collective attitude that th- the Japanese have, where they don't leave trash on the street. Yeah, you know why they don't leave trash on the street? Because they know that there's a guy out there that looks just like them that's going to have to pick that up. Yep. Our racial divisions have push us to a place where we don't care about each other anymore as individuals, as people, as groups of people, we can chalk it up to uh, not having to care about somebody because of what they potentially look like and what, what their stereotypes are as a person. We can, we can push them to a side and say that we're greater uh, Mm -hmm. because of our access to wealth or whether or not we're wearing Jordans or not, or whether or not our sandals have a shine to them. You know what I mean? I Uh, do. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's fucking all wrong. The, the American system of pushing people down and, and, uh, and all these abusive behaviors that are taught. Vengeance. We don't have a justice system. We have a vengeance system. Yeah. Like you, you, can't, you can't possibly rehabilitate someone with mental health issues in a cage, in a cage without a window. There's no rehabilitation opportunity there at all. <laughs> The fact that there was a cage in the first place is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when did that become the American prison system? Yeah. It, it became the American prison system during the drug crisis. Yeah. And they didn't treat it as a crisis because they identified it as, oh, this is a problem in the black community. Let's go stamp it out by abusing our power. Yeah. So back to the original question, you're not worried about 
the comedy scene. <laughs> or, that's not the top of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you are. <laughs> Those are the things that I'm worried about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. And that's what I've been feeling too. I've been going to Zoom comedies every now and again just yeah. to try jokes. But I'm also feeling the same way. Like right now, the only thing I really need to be doing is bonding with my kids. And this podcast feels good. I like talking mm. with, with you. I like talking with people that, you know, were, were part of the comedy community, but I'm not too worried about jokes right now. Um, but I mean, we got to laugh though. Like we got to laugh. Yeah. We got to laugh. We have to laugh at how absurd everything is. And the reason why comedy exists is because we have to point out the absurdity of what's going on. When you're a comedian, that is your role. Your role is to say, this shit is fucked up. It's fucked Why up. is it fucked up? And you know it's fucked up, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like that, that that's what it is. We, we have to, as comedians, there's so much fodder in the absurdity so of the things that, 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 that are happening to us and happening to our communities. It's happening to your community too. Matthew McCarran, you're part of my community. Oh yeah, yeah. Whether you believe it or not, whether you whether you want to be in my community or not, you're in my community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so before I, you know, we have a huge and we probably don't have time to get into this too. And it would be just too much, too too, <laughs> too heavy, but we haven't even talked about the homeless problem, which is just heartbreaking. We and another thing like problem in America, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, it, but we shouldn't have hunger. We shouldn't have ignorance and we shouldn't have homelessness and we shouldn't have people ignorance without health. Happen as long as Mississippi is the worst place to get educated in the, on, in the world. But why? Right? Like really the reason, the reason why is because all the reason why Mississippi is the worst place to get an education is because no one in Mississippi believes enough in each other to yeah. provide equal access to education for everyone there. Yeah. And actually to spend the time to develop and produce educated individuals. Educated individuals is the key. Critical thinking. That's, that's the only way you move forward. Critical thinking and empathy. And it'll take All these problems will solve themselves. And it and, and it, it'll take seven generations. I think so. No, that's a that's a proverb from the Native American group. And Native okay. Americans is a proverb uh, that I've heard uh, through my years of working with white people that bring up proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> it it was probably made up by a white. That probably wasn't an Indian who said that. No, was no, probably no. it's something. Uh, it's something uh, that was a yoga teacher who told you that from a Native American. And they were like, "Huh, that's interesting." Uh, thank you for that piece of knowledge there. Now I know how to systematically oppress you so you can't ever have seven generations. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the the real talk in order for, and, and this happens, this also comes from domestic violence as well. Like it's been proven that it, it takes seven generations for domestic violence to stop within a No family. shit, really? Yeah. Wow. That's a long fucking timeline. Do you understand? Like if your grandfather's grandfather was abusive. Wow. It'll take that long before 
the abuse might stop. Not will stop, might. It'll happen. Yeah, and if they're doing the work. Right. That's, that's the thing that you have to consider when and it comes to environmental policy, when it comes to uh, uh, yes. social justice, when it comes to our political atmosphere. It's going to take some type of catalyst and then the work to be done for seven generations in order for us to gain the equality that we all deserve. Yeah. And I think, level. I, I think talking about domestic violence is a good comparison to race relations in the United States. It's the same thing. It's, it's the exactly, same thing. It's, a, it's exactly the same thing. It, and when I was watching after George Floyd and all of the media outlets started bringing our black leadership online um, to talk to them about what's going on, I was watching this and I kept going, why are you asking these questions? You're asking self-evident questions to a black leadership that has been telling us the answers for whatever, however long. And so you're asking this question again. It's like, no, we know the answer. So why don't we go to them and say, okay, like how, how not ask for answers, but say, okay, this is another fuck up. What do you think is the next step to get us out of this fuck up? Right. It's like, yeah, we, we know, we already know what's going on. Everyone knows what's going on. So in a way pleading for a journalist to plead ignorance and then bring on black leadership and say, oh, tell us, tell us what's wrong. It's like, no, we know what's wrong. We just need to figure out next steps together to, to make this the first step in seven generations. And it's kind of like, a, I was looking at it, this is how I was looking at it. Mm. I was looking at how a husband is punching his wife in the face and going, tell me, how, how do I stop punching you in the face? Like, Put your hand down. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Put your hands in a pocket and don't let kneel on anybody's neck. Be yeah. Maybe maybe that. Yeah. Maybe maybe sitting your ass down and, and having some type of self reflective moment. But yeah. you know we, we there's a couple ways that we can really handle the situation right now. There's a couple ways that we can really we need to get rid of quality qualified immunity throughout throughout the United States. It, that thing just has to stop. Qualified immunity for anybody's job is fucked up. Doctors don't even have qualified immunity. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they're under a lot of heat, actually. Doctors, I mean, every any given day that, that could be if a, a doctor can't have if a doctor can't have qualified immunity, why would we trust the police with right. our lives if they don't? Yeah. True. And, and, and that, that's my argument for that. Beyond anything else, if we, if we don't trust a doctor to do surgery, which is, which is their job, right. and they can't have, they have to have insurance to protect themselves against potential liability right. if they make a mistake performing their job. That they train 12 years to do. That they train, that they have to do continual education for yeah. Throughout their job, do you understand? There's that standard that doesn't qualify for the police that have to interact with the public on a day to day basis to prevent abuse. That's their job. Yeah. A police officer's job is to prevent someone else from abusing another person. Yeah. In any form or fashion. Abuse is stealing, abuse is 
punching someone, abuses, committing acts of violence, abuses, murder, all of those things. You know where murder happens the most? Domestic violence. <clears throat> yeah. They don't talk about that. Yeah. And, and we're not even talking about who, who becomes police. Who becomes a police officer? That short guy that you went to school with that was mm. a bully. Right. Or was bullied and has a chip on his shoulder. Even more of a reason why we need to have psychological exams and background yeah. checks and, and all of that type of stuff. Like it, it should be really hard to become a police officer and you got to really want to be a police officer and you need to have a, I'm almost even saying like, you need to have an MSW to be a police officer. I would trust. And even still then, we were talking about our social services and stuff like that. All these Karens that work in social services, that teacher that coughed on that baby at the yoga oh, center. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Come on, B. Yeah. That coughed on a baby because she was mad that they were in line without masks. That's so ironic and wrong. So ironic. <laughs> Like you're upset about the exchanging of germs, so you take the initiative. Makes that's also had it been like, is hey, do you have a mask? Would you like one? Yeah. She didn't even know whether or not the mom or the baby had access to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mask at at, at any given time, especially right now, is for for all intents and purposes, it's kind of hard to get. Right. Yeah. And if you're that mom, you're walking into yogurt land and you're like, you know what? I haven't been out in weeks. Yeah. Yogurt land is just now opening up for us to go get yogurt. Let me go take my baby to go get a treat. Yeah. Let me risk, let me risk my life. Let me risk my life to get my baby some yogurt. And this woman goes and coughs on her. Who's fucked up in that situation? And, I know and was, she was, a, yeah, she, was she a teacher or just worked for the school system? Teacher. Work with special ed kids. Oh, no. That is not good. I can't Man. even believe Just like my Oh, wait. So qualified immunity was one. You had a second point. Let's get to the second okay. point and then let's wrap this up and get our, our kids in, in, into bed. That's true. Uh, the second point is we need to have uh, term limits on all all, politi- all politicians across the board. You get two terms. That's it. Then again, that brings in a good point because then that person has to their heart has to be in the right spot because you're not going to be okay. Now you cozy up with lobbyists for it's two good terms enough for the president. It's good enough for everybody else. Yes, two terms. Yeah. Get some new blood in there, get some new takes and keep the lobbyists at bay. And I should, we should probably on top of that, I'll piggyback that. That's a great idea. But you know how some of these guys, um, they go into office Mm -hmm. and they cozy up with the lobbyists and then they get uh, consulting gigs in those interest industries. There should be no financial incentive to benefit off the policy that you put in place after you leave. If that makes sense. Yeah. They, uh, if you're in Congress right now, um, it, like remember how all those uh, Congress members 
uh, dumped uh, certain stocks when they knew the market was going to fall the day after. Oh, it happens all the time, I'm sure. They should not be able to do that. As a matter of fact, uh, if you become a representative, they should freeze your assets. Yeah. You, they should freeze your assets and the only money that you get is from the federal government. And you shouldn't have access to trade shit. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that too. Because you could literally put policy in while on, you could in one breath, you could be saying this policy is good for my constituents. And the other breath, I'm going to buy the stocks of this lobby group that just... <laughs> if, there, if there's no financial incentive for them to do things then they have to act on policy that works for their constituents yeah and, and that's and that's 100 the problem right now if you yeah. take money if you take money out of out of politics then what's what what will happen is is that the corporations will start spending money on people to influence the situation yeah and then they're going to have to spend that money on people which will benefit the people right. instead of benefiting these politicians. Yeah. It's cheaper for the corporation to spend it on the one or two politicians uh, that have been working there, like Stronghouse Thurman, who's, who's, who's working against, uh, <laughs> um, who, who's working it, working for uh, segregation all those years that he worked for segregation. Yes. You know, it, there's so many, like, like uh, fucking, what is that guy's name? The Kentucky guy. Who's the Kentucky guy? Oh, you talk uh, the not the libertarian guy? No, Mitch McConnell. Okay. So, how long has he been a senator? He's been a senator for like thirty years. Okay. He's run unopposed. I don't know how many times. That should another be. There should be another rule too. You can't run unopposed. Right. Because then there's no choice. There's got, it's not a democracy without a choice. If you run unimposed, if you run unimposed, you lose your seat. Matter of fact, you have to find somebody that'll run against you if you run opposed. Like you can't. There, that, that should be a rule. Yeah. There, there could be some gotchas in there, but I, I, my brain can't strategize that because there could be some gotchas in setting up straw men to run against, but yeah. the sentiment. The sentiment is that you should give people choice. Yeah, but these these things will eliminate the need to gerrymander. Yeah, uh, those the, all of that stuff. It would just eliminate it because the gerrymandering happens because so that politicians can keep their jobs. And the yeah. whole thing is like you should. This is a temporary gig. Be you should be a professional. <laughs> you should be a professional doing something, and then you go. You know what? I'll run for office. You know what? I want to help my people out. I feel yeah. this. I, my streets, you know, my school down, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, again, citing the founding fathers isn't exactly a pure thing because we know how much dirt the founding fathers were doing to yeah, be inhumane. But the founding fathers did want, from my understanding of it, they wanted civilian leadership, meaning they wanted a plumber to be a senator and then go back to being a plumber. They wanted a horseshoe, a blacksmith to go in and be a senator and then go back to being... I think that was the original intent, but again, I don't think we ever separated with, despite all of the things that are potentially a very beautiful architecture for a a society, I think we never really got away from that. Um, It wasn't called corporations back then, it was, um, uh, what were they called? Um, 
like the um, Dutch Indie Trading Company and all the, there were, there were organizations, trade organizations that held the control of poli- whether they were kings, politicians or whatever. And that power structure, even though it's a kind of a noble thought to think there was a revolution that changed. No, no, no. We were still emboldened to these large multinational organizations who were trying to get tobacco from the original colonies back to wherever they were selling it. But, but the bottom line is, I like the sound of what you're, what you're saying there to where, okay, number one, this is just like you going to college. It's a temporary thing. It's going to be a moment in your life. It's going to be a season in your life. You're not going to be able to profit during that season of your life. And you're not going to be able to profit from the policy you put in place in that season of your life later on in life when you want to take some kind of, um, uh, and then just make all healthcare a non-for-profit institution and make it so corporations and companies can't profit off of healthcare in any form or fashion. I think people need to understand. I, I don't like jumping in people's shorts and, and browbeating them with facts, but people really need to understand this. We are the only for-profit national, or no, we're the only for-profit healthcare system in the industrialized world. Everyone else, it's, it's, a, it's a commonwealth service. Like you just get it. Like I said, you get, uh, you get police departments, you get fire departments, you get educational departments, and you get health departments. Like we're the only ones who pick this other route. And if you look at our health, you know, I think it's pretty strong indicator that it's not really working. Yeah. So Atu, this, this has been great, man. I really appreciate your time. I miss you. I miss the room for having this discussion. I felt like it was very healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is good. I, I really like this. I liked our previous one uh, where um, it was me, you and PX, and we were talking about some civic stuff. And then this one was good. I knew we were gonna be able to touch on all of this because of, I know you've been on the activist side with, um, you know, as far as uh, justice reform or, or our, we shouldn't say justice, injustice reform. There you go. But uh, I appreciate you, man. And I know that at some point in the future, me and you are going to be hanging out, telling stupid yeah, jokes. Let's just hope they drop. Well, uh, I did hear a news story. Uh, okay. and there, there is hope for us that they did the first um, vaccine. Someone got, uh, nice. someone got the vaccine and it seems like to be working well. And uh, antibodies Perfect. are building up and stuff like that. And so... Um, there is hope on the horizon. I think that uh, realistically, once a vaccine is out there and people are out there getting it and stuff like that, I think um, uh, things will get better. But the reality of it is, is that COVID is a very aggressive disease. Yeah. And the impact of it, if you're the impact of it, if you're healthier or not, can be devastating. Um, there yeah. have been people that have been decimated by the ill effects of this disease and it's not to be taken lightly. Nope. And uh, the folks that are taking it lightly and acting like it's not real uh, need to understand that it is very real and it will have a very real impact in your life and just do your best to keep yourself safe and wash your hands and wash your, your face. There real we go. Quick, wash I- your hands, don't touch your face, wear a mask, 
wash your hands, don't touch your face, wear a mask. I've been able to keep up with the hand washing, but I'm constantly, I mean, my face, my hands are like, my face is a magnet and my hands are just metal. I'm constantly rubbing my eyes, scrubbing my nose. Just touch your face with soap on your hands and you're good. Mm. Yes, it's like mom washing your mouth out with soap. Yeah, I mean, even the fact, like I remember early on in the protocols, I was like, I was wearing gloves a lot when I was going in and out of buildings. And I was like, why? And then I looked at myself, I was like, if I'm wearing gloves, then I have more, I have more chance of, of being at risk. Cause I remember you don't wash gloves. Was, yeah. When I was working in food service, I would have to change gloves every time yep. I served a new person. Yep. And it doesn't serve you, right? Like if you're doing something where you need gloves and you don't want to touch whatever it is you're touching, then yeah, wear your gloves yeah. and do that. Right. And then dispose of them after, and then go wash your hands yep. and, and, and just stay away from touching your face and all that stuff, dude. Just follow what the CDC says or what the CDC says in Singapore. Cause they know <laughs> what the fuck is really up. Cause they ain't got COVID out there. <laughs> yeah. Do what New Zealand did. Shut it down. Yep. But uh, again, and then we go wrap the call. Those places also have uh pretty pretty solid national healthcare systems where they were tracking every everyone's health history is in a database that they can access and of course they're smaller the scale in the united states is a little more difficult but there's no excuse for what's been going down here at all so right on Atu. Thank well you, you have a good one my friend and uh we will chat soon thank you so much for having me i really appreciate you um, uh, many blessings to you and your family, uh, safe travels, uh, be well and be safe. Right on.